I know I'm not alone in wondering what is going on in the church today. I wanted to take this Saturday morning and just read a couple of the headline subchapter headings from Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma by Ludwig van Ott. Now, Ott is considered to be one of the foremost theologians, and this book is considered by Orthodox, conservative, and traditional Catholics to be indispensable to understanding the Catholic faith. Beginning on 274, the purpose of the church, I'm just going to read the subtitle headings. I won't go into uh, everything that Ott says. Uh, A lot of it is very, very detailed, and some of it is in Latin. But giving us the drive-by wavetops, if you will, of what we're looking at here. So, part three, the purpose of the church. Christ founded the church in order to continue his work of redemption for all time. Now, that's defide. So, what he'll do is he'll he'll put uh, whether or not the statement is defide, as in it is of the faith, we have to believe it. It is absolute dogma. Uh, and then there are notes of infallibility as well, which Ryan Grant and Father Ripperger have done hours of content on the various notes of infallibility. And understanding those notes, I think, is important, uh, and I won't go into it here. Part 2. Inferences. A. By reason of her purpose and the means she uses to effect it, the church is a supernatural spiritual society. Part B. The church is a perfect society. The constitution of the church. The hierarchical constitution of the church. Divine origin of the hierarchy. Christ gave his church a hierarchical constitution. That's defide. Uh, Of note here, it says, Pius Pius X condemned the proposition of the modernists that the church hierarchy is the result of a general historical development. The powers bestowed on the apostles have descended to the bishops. That's defide. Part 5, the primacy of St. Peter. Number one, the dogma and its opponents. Christ appointed the apostle Peter to be the first of all the apostles and to be the visible head of the whole church by appointing him immediately and personally to the primacy of jurisdiction. Here Ott goes on to give biblical foundation, testimony of the fathers, Peter and Paul. Primacy of jurisdiction of the Pope. Perpetuation of the primacy. According to Christ's ordinance, 
Peter is to have successors in his primacy over the whole church and for all time. That's defide. The successors of Peter in the primacy are the bishops of Rome. That's defide. The nature of papal primacy, this is part seven, dogma. The Pope possesses full and supreme power of jurisdiction over the whole church, not merely in matters of faith and morals, but also in church discipline and in the government of the church. That's defide. Papal teaching primacy or papal infallibility. Dogma. The Pope is infallible when he speaks ex cathedra. That's defide. Here he gives no less than 10 different references and proofs from scripture and tradition. And there are many pages written on that. Part 9, the bishops. Nature of Episcopal Power By virtue of divine right, the bishops possess an ordinary power of government over their dioceses. That's defide. Manner of conferring. The individual bishop receives his pastoral power immediately from the Pope. Christ in the Church Founder of the Church Christ founded the Church Defide Christ is head of the Church Defide Our Redeemer himself conserves with divine power, the society founded by him, the church. That's Pius Twelfth. Christ is the divine redeemer of his body, the church. The Holy Ghost in the church. This is part 11. This is what I wanted to talk about today. The Holy Ghost is the soul of the church. In 1897, Leo XIII declared, Let the one proposition suffice. Christ is the head of the church, the Holy Ghost, her soul. In the encyclical Mystici Corpus, Corporis, Pius XII confirmed this doctrine. In its content, it asserts that like the soul in the body, the Holy Ghost is the principle of being and life in the church. It is the Holy Ghost who wields together the members of the church among themselves, and with Christ the head, as the Holy Ghost is entirely in the head and entirely in the members of the mystical body. It is he who by his assistance upholds the hierarchy in the exercise of the teaching office, of the pastoral office, and of the sacerdotal, sacerdotal office. It is he who with his grace excites and fosters every salutary activity in the members of the mystical body. All life and growth of the mystical body proceeds from the divine life principle indwelling in it. Body and Soul of the Church While the Holy Ghost is the soul of the Church, the lawfully organized visible commonwealth of the faithful is the body of the church. Both conjointly form a coherent whole, as do the soul and the body in man. 
Here we reach the essential points, the indefectibility of the church. The church is indefectible. That is, she remains and will remain the institution of salvation founded by Christ until the end of the world. In the final decision on doctrines concerning faith and morals, the church is infallible. Defide. The primary object of the infallibility is the, form, is the formally revealed truths of Christian doctrine concerning faith and morals. Defide. The secondary object of the infallibility is truths of the Christian teaching on faith and morals which are not formally revealed, but which are closely connected with the teaching of Revelation. Possessors of the Infallibility A. The Pope The Pope is infallible when he speaks ex cathedra, de fide. B. The whole episcopate The totality of the bishops is infallible when they, either assembled in general council or scattered over the earth, propose a teaching of faith or morals as one to be held by all the faithful. Defide. The Visibility of the Church The external visible side of the church. The church founded by Christ is an external visible commonwealth. The Unity of the Church the church founded by Christ is unique and one. Defide. And Ott talks about unity of faith, unity of communion. The sanctity of the church. The church founded by Christ is holy. Defide. The Catholicity of the church. The church founded by Christ is Catholic. That's Defide. The apostolicity of the church. Church founded by Christ is apostolic. That's defide. Ott goes on in chapter 5 to speak of the necessity of the church, membership of the church, teaching in the church, the necessity for membership of the church. And here I think I'll end on the readings. by pointing out that membership of the church is necessary for all men for salvation. That is defide. Now, as you can tell, Ott is very rigid. He says what is black and white, it is either of the faith or approximately of the faith or not of the faith. It's really that simple. And as we enter this time uh, after Easter, the conclusion of Easter, and with the, with the celebration of the coming of the Paraclete, today being the vigil of Pentecost, um, I think it is important that we spend more time thinking this summer about the church, the nature of the church. As you heard, the Holy Ghost is the soul 
of the church. And the church is supposed to be a visible society. It's supposed to be a perfect society. I know that I'm not alone when I find difficulty squaring the clear precision of ought in Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma. And I think this copy is, yeah, this copy is published by Tan Books. When I see the clarity and the precision and the specificity of ought, and I compare that to the flimflam that we get today from the likes of Bishop Baron Pants on Fire, who's taking over a bishopric in Winona. Is that, is that where he's going? Um, I, I, I look at it, and I find it hard to reconcile. And for those of us in, in this same position, traditionalists, who are more or less in what is defined as the recognize and resist camp, which I suppose many of us are in, although I don't know, I don't know if all of you listening to this would call yourselves that. I suppose a lot of you might be sedivacontists. Uh, and I th- suppose some of you might not even be recognized and resist people. You might just consider yourselves to be conservative Catholics. But it is rather difficult in 2021 when we see German bishops proposing absolute scandal when we see a a history of abuse, decades of it, in Latin America, in the United States, in Europe, swept under the rug, and notable abusers constantly being promoted, I, like the rest of you, really wonder if the Holy Ghost is still animating the body of the church if it is still present in the soul of the church. Because what we just heard from Ott, now I didn't go into the details, but we heard the defide statements, that the church is a visible society and that its soul is animated by the Holy Ghost. How can the church be in such error as we look at it, the mainstream church, when Ott says that the church is indefectible? How can the church be a perfect visible society when we see cardinal against cardinal, bishop against bishop? How can we say that the church is one and holy and apostolic, when we see its apostolic successors effectively governing from a position of schism, especially in Germany and other parts of Europe. How can we see that how can we say that it's one when two men in Rome bear the title Pope, wear the white cassock, and uh, appear to exercise some level of governing. 
I think the only way to reconcile what we're seeing now in 2022, these modern times, versus the clear and precise definitions given by Ott, is that we are not in an ordinary time. We're in an extraordinary time. I believe it was Our Lady of La Salette who prophesied that the church would be in eclipse. And there are many interpretations of what that might mean. But an eclipse, generally speaking, is when the object is obscured from view. It is no longer viewable by the naked eye. You know that it's still there. It hasn't disappeared. But when you look for it, you don't see it. It is obscured. It is covered. It is darkened by a shadow. And I think that most likely, uh, for example, Our Lady of Good Success or Our Lady of the Good Event in Quito, Ecuador, spoke of the 19th and 20th century and spoke of the fact that the church would be in her passion during this time. And I don't think there's any question that she is. So if the church is in some eclipse, then in gazing upon her, as a layperson from inside the institution, or attempting to be inside the institution, believing he's inside, gazing upon her, if she's in eclipse, then the naked eye may not see her clearly. And it could be that she is eclipsed by the false... Vatican II church could be that. I'm not saying it's that. I'm not saying that that's what I think. But it's approximately possible that the errors of that wicked council have become the shadow of darkness cast over the Roman Catholic Church, obscuring it from real view, which is what an eclipse is, some shadow obscuring the object from view. You know the object is still there. You know that it still exists. You just temporarily cannot see it with natural eyes. But I wonder if with the eyes of faith, aren't we able to see the church in eclipse? Because with eyes of faith, we can read our forefathers in the faith. We can understand the perennial dogmas of the church, which cannot change, cannot evolve, and certainly cannot be severed. And with that foundation and with that grounding and with what St. Vincent of Lorenz described as clinging 
to antiquity, then it is much harder for us to be deceived. And I think that the deception component is what is so important with respect to the idea of a church in eclipse. Because it is a deception of the senses. We're supposed to experience reality with our five senses. We're not supposed to disbelieve our eyes and our ears. We're supposed to see and hear. But also to do so with the light of faith. And a an eclipse is a deception against the senses. And it deceives the seer from being able to clearly see the object. And I think our experience today in 2022 is that people are easily deceived who are not in touch with reality. People who are detached from their five senses, who start to believe concepts in their minds and believe that those concepts are more real than physical reality. You know, the push for intersectionality, radical gender ideology, the transgender movement, the grooming, all of that is only possible when a person believes a false idea is more real than the biological reality, the concrete physical world in which they live. It is a product of immanentism, modernism. The notion that an idea in your mind is the only reality, is the real reality, not what you experience. And many good Catholics, although they would reject intersectionality and radical gender ideology, they would reject those things, of course. But I think that many good Catholics are still, notwithstanding that fact, somewhat detached from physical reality and therefore more easily deceived by the shadow of darkness which is currently eclipsing Holy Mother Church, obscuring it from view. So, what's my point? My point is that during this period of Pentecost, what I hope to be true, this is the birthday of the church. When we wish Holy Mother Church happy birthday, and we consider the descent of the Holy Ghost, the infusion of the Holy Ghost as the soul of the church, on the Feast of Pentecost. 
I think what we should be thinking about is where is this obscured from view object which is infused with the grace of the Holy Ghost. And it can be difficult to sort out the difference between the falseness that we can see with our eyes, the deception, the edifices, the buildings, the various offices, the churchmen with rings and red hats who are proposing error, who are in error, who are themselves participants of grave, disordered, mortal sin. How do we see past that, see through that shadow of obscurity and see the true object behind them, beneath them. They are attempting to obscure Holy Mother Church from us, from from plain view. And for this period of time, for however long this eclipse will last, part of our punishment, which is a just punishment, is that the church is outside of the plain view. It is beyond the plain view of your typical Catholic. And we can only see it with eyes of faith, and those eyes of faith have to be well-trained, well-grounded in the tradition and in antiquity. That is the only way to make sense of this current crisis, this unprecedented crisis. And I think that as we think about that more deeply and ponder it, it becomes more and more clear what is the right answer for ourselves and our families in this time. For some people, it you may conclude that the best thing for your family is to stay put and to do what you're doing, to hear Mass wherever you're hearing Mass. You might be a diocesan indult. You may have family and professional reasons to be in a geography where that's all you have. You may conclude that you're aware enough of the infiltration and obscuration that... You're, you're just there for the sacraments and and you are otherwise inoculated against being deceived. For others, you may say, I don't have the, the right footing. I don't have the grounding to resist the modernist tendencies of where I am, so I should relocate myself to a place that is more appropriate. And still others are listening to this podcast and saying, I, I've already done that. Thanks be to God 
I saw the writing on the wall uh, three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. And I am one of the lucky ones living in one of the many uh, traditionalist outposts, let's say. I'm in Post Falls or I'm in Cincinnati or I'm in Kentucky or I'm in Syracuse or I'm in many parts of Florida or wherever, right? Kansas City. Um, There are good, strong, notable traditionalist outposts, St. Mary's, Kansas. Um, and And if you're that person, then that's good. But the same warning would apply, I think, across the board from the conservative Novus Ordo is the best I have for hundreds of miles person to the uh, indult diocesan Latin mass person to the, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm safe enough with the FSSP or the Institute of Christ the King person to the I've see it think I see it more clearly and I'm SSPX person or SSPX resistance or Marian Corps person or SSPV uh, or or even to the Sede Vicantis. I think the warning is the same. Whatever camp you are in uh, coping with this crisis, I would say two things. First, I mean... Everyone's doing his or her best. And I think a, a real unification of the clans can only stem from that proposition, that we have to assume the goodwill in our neighbors and that they are always and only attempting to do the best they can with the information that they have in these very confusing times. But secondly, the warning that no matter where we are in the continuum, the one thing none of us can do is become complacent. Complacency kills. We used to say that overseas. We had signs everywhere. Complacency kills. And spiritual complacency kills the soul, which is far, far worse than merely separating the soul from the body. So, even if we find ourselves in a magnificent situation, you know, where we think that we are absolutely out of reach from the communist revolution, where we are disconnected from the modernist errors of the modern church, uh, where we have the most orthodox priests of all time, the most precise and beautiful liturgy imaginable, a great homeschooling community, church-going community, uh, a return to the land and a and a deeper relationship with God's providence. What, what even if you're in that situation, even if you're in the best of the best, I think the natural temptation of man is to seek comfort. And 
one of the ways that we do that mentally is to become complacent, to seek mental comfort, to say, constantly being on guard, constantly keeping my head on a swivel, constantly being in a protection mode for my children, standing by to always guard them and protect them from error uh, is a lot of work. And one of the things that I think people will do is they will pick up and move and they will come to one of the hubs and they will say, ah, finally I'm here. I can relax. I can let my hair down. I'm safe here. But until we recognize that truly, even in the ideal situation, we are not fully safe. So we recognize that, that our, our lot in 2022 is the opposite of that, is to constantly be potentially under attack from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that that has been the Christian lot from the beginning, that the world, the flesh, and the devil have always been opposed to Holy Mother Church and to the teachings of truth. We have to dispense with the notion that we will ever someday be fully safe from the world, the flesh, and the devil, because we won't. That's not how the combat works. So... I know it's confusing. I think it's confusing. I'm constantly confused. Perhaps this Pentecost 2022 will be for many, for some, even just for a few. Perhaps this will be the season in which the scales from some eyes will continue to drop. And the situation will be seen more clearly. But whatever your situation is, my hope for you is that as you look around at the other mostly young families in the tradition who are struggling to understand the complex and very mysterious situation that we're living through. What I hope is that each of us will look upon the other as a soul who is seeking to do his best. Trying to understand the situation to the best of his or her ability. And sometimes the soul is seeking comfort and doesn't want to know the hard truths. And sometimes the soul, in its, you know, in its horror of suffering, just wants to be comfortable uh, in a place and, and wants to look past the obvious and glaring errors of that place that they are in, even though those errors are obvious and glaring to you. That doesn't imply malice. In the soul, spiritual laziness is different from malice, and the only way that we can all 
continue a process of unification across all the various camps is if we at least start from that same premise that uh, everyone is doing his or her best and just because I've arrived at a conclusion that someone else may not arrive at for five more years doesn't mean that I'm any smarter, better, holier. It, it, it's just, it just means that I, I've been given the grace to see the situation more clearly. And I have a duty as a result of that to share that clarity with people in my immediate area. So, trads get a bad rap because we're constantly looking down on people, right? Judgy trads. One of the ways that we can overcome that is to just recognize that whatever it is that we're doing or whatever it is about this confusing situation that we think we can see clearly that is a grace from God. It is not a sign of our own intellect, it is, nor is it a sign of our own greatness in any way, our own splendor or magnificence. No. And if we've been given this gift, if our blessed Lord has taken the scale from our eyes, then we should be extremely grateful for it and in a spirit of gratitude we should attempt to share the truths that we have learned and seen and observed with those around us that's a work of mercy it's a spiritual work of mercy and frankly it's a work of charity thank you for listening to this podcast I I hope it helps I hope that this Pentecost is a turning point for many people in these confusing times. And I don't think that the confusion is going to get any better in the near future. So perhaps, perhaps, as things accelerate, more people will... Uh, what they call red pill. And hopefully what they find are the welcoming arms of their fellow parishioners or their fellow Catholics who say, I'm here for you. Let's figure this out together. Not 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 a fellow Catholic who says, oh, yeah, I already figured that out three years ago. Um, so, you know, we've been doing this for years and we're so much better than you. That's, that's no way to welcome someone uh, into reality. So hopefully we can each individually look at our lives, look at our circle of friends, look at where we are, first and foremost, decide how awake are we? How in touch with reality are we? How willing to accept the difficult 
mental situation are we? And then beyond that, uh, for those who are on the journey a few paces behind us, how are we helping those people along the path of waking up? God bless you.